Good morning, everyone. Today we're reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, which is on page 1180 in the Church Bible. So I'll just give you a moment to find that. So starting at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Good morning. Thanks, Harry, for reading. Um, if you've not met me before, um, I'm Neil, married to Rika. It's lovely to see you all this morning. Shall we pray as we look at God's word together? Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us your word and we can look at it together this morning. Please help us understand what you're saying to us today. And we pray that we'd all leave here valuing knowing you more and knowing Jesus much more as well. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, well, me and Rika have had a bit of a leak in our bathroom recently. Water's coming through the ceiling. Um, the leak has stopped, but a few weeks ago, I just wanted to take a closer look, see if there's any damage or anything in the ceiling, if it's smelling or anything like that. Our ceilings are quite high, so I needed a way to get up there. Our ladder was upstairs, tucked away somewhere. So, like any cunning man, I looked for another solution. What could I stand on? have a look at the ceiling. The coffee table, it's not bad. It's a bit short though, it's not really going to work. I also had a chair in there, 
but that's still a little bit short, so that's not going to work. And then it struck me. <laughs> Coffee table, then chair. <laughs> Rika's obviously doing something else at this point. But anyway, coffee table in place. It's quite heavy on carpet, so it's not going to move anywhere. But then here's the problem. The chair has wooden legs on a wooden coffee table. Not much room either side of the table for it to fit on. So it's a bit slidey, it's a bit, bit nerve-wracking. But anyway, I climb up, coffee table first. No problem. <laughs> but then the chair. This is the tricky bit. It's unstable. You know when you like test something to see if it's going to hold your weight. A bit of weight first, then a bit more. Right foot on the chair, but left most of my weight back in my left foot. Not confident to put all my weight on the chair. Why do I tell you that this morning? You can ask me how it went after the sermon if you want. <laughs> but I want to suggest that the way that I treated that chair is often the way we can sometimes treat Jesus. We're nervous. We're careful not to put all our weight onto Jesus. We keep plenty of weight back in the left foot, keeping a safety net. We're scared of the consequences if we let our feet leave the ground. For example, telling our friends about Jesus, it's risky. Or we're nervous about giving our whole lives in service of Jesus, because what does that mean for my time? Or it's risky committing to a Bible study group because relationships are time-consuming and sometimes messy. Or other areas like hospitality or work or our money. We're scared what it would mean to put all our weight on Jesus in those areas. So we like to stay safe. A bit of weight in the back foot. It's safer not to risk losing friends. It's safer not to damage relationships at work. It's safer not to get involved in people's lives. We're not fully confident in Jesus. We're not sure he'll hold our weight. We think it's risky. Well, this morning we're diving back into the book of Philippians together. And Paul is showing them what it means to have confident thinking. He wants to show the Philippian church that they can be confident. They can put all their weight on Jesus their whole lives. Well, more than that, Paul wants to say that to put your weight on Jesus is actually the safest thing that you can do. Remember, Paul is writing to a normal, ordinary church in Philippi. And in our passage this morning, Paul wants to encourage them in their joy, and he wants them to be safe. Have a look down at verse 1 with me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write to you the same things again, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul says these things I'm about to write to you, they're going to keep you safe. He says they're not news to you, you've heard it before, but he does say it's a safeguard for you to hear it again. It's a protection. It's a protection for them as they live out long, difficult, but joyful lives in service of Jesus. And so as we listen together, an ordinary church here in Lancaster, even if we've heard it before, Paul says it's going to be good for us to hear it again. It's going to make us joyful, and it's going to keep us safe in that joy. And if you're not a Christian here today, or you're looking in from home, then please don't switch off. As I've been reading through this passage more and more, I've been convinced it's a fantastic passage for you if you're looking at the claims of Jesus in the Bible. Because in this passage, we see what it really means to live a life 
following Jesus that's consistent with the claims that he makes. Well, I've split the passage into two on your sheets. One to eight, the danger of wrong confidence. And eight to 11, the safety of right confidence. So firstly, that danger of wrong confidence. Paul begins with a sharp warning. Verse two, have a look. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Our Bible version, the NIV, hides it a little bit, but Paul literally says, watch out, watch out, watch out, three times in one verse. A safeguard for you is to watch out for these people. So who are they? Well, they're a small group of Jews going around at this time saying one thing, and it's quite simple. They're saying to follow God, you must be circumcised. We know that from the context of what Paul is about to say, but also these people pop up now and again in the New Testament. Galatians, another book in the New Testament, is a good example. But notice the language that Paul uses in that verse. He's about as harsh and as offensive as you can get. He calls them dogs. That's pretty insulting. But dogs would have been unclean in this culture, so it's a double whammy. Second, he says they do evil. They're evildoers. Again, really offensive to these guys whose life pursuit up to this point would have been holiness. Well, thirdly, he calls them mutilators of the flesh. This is perhaps the worst of the three because Paul is referring here to circumcision. The very thing they're saying you have to do in order to be part of God's people. They're basically saying to be a Christian, you have to be a Jew first. You need to be circumcised. And if you're not, then you can't be part of God's people. It's a necessity to be circumcised. Paul calls them out sharply. They're mutilators of the flesh. How can he say something like that? Circumcision has been part of Jewish tradition, given and commanded by God in the Old Testament, going all the way back to Abraham in Genesis at the start of the Bible. For thousands of years, God's people have practiced circumcision. So how can Paul be so upset? We need to know that Paul doesn't have an issue with the practice itself. He's been circumcised. He says that in verse 5. In fact, just before Paul came to Philippi, he had his teammate, Timothy, who we heard about last week, circumcised as an adult. Paul certainly doesn't think the practice itself is evil. So what's his issue? What's that word, necessity? It's because this Jewish group have said that to be a believer... To be a Christian, to worship God, you must be circumcised. Paul's issue here brings us right to the heart of what's going to keep us safe. Have a look down at verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. So here's Paul's issue in this verse. And we could spend a long time just on this verse, but let's just look at it quickly in two halves. So firstly, we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God. Paul says, the circumcision. There's only one circumcision group. There's only one group who's part of God's people, and it's us. Don't be fooled. You don't have to join this circumcision group because you're already part of it. You're already God's people, whether they're circumcised physically or not. But it's not just about that. 
It's about what it means to worship God. The Jews have their idea about what that means. But Paul says, no. We worship God by his spirit. God in us. Complete access. In another book, Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, he says, circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the written code. And then again later in Romans in chapter 7, he says we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. To follow God is no longer by rules or laws, but because of Jesus we have the spirit. This group are badly mistaken. Well, that second half of that verse, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. As followers of Jesus, our salvation, our goodness, is not from ourselves. It's all Jesus. We'll talk about this way more later. But notice that this group, by saying you have to be circumcised, they're adding to it. They're saying Jesus' work isn't enough. They're putting confidence in the flesh, and so they're taking glory away from Jesus. But by putting no confidence in the flesh, you're putting all your confidence in Jesus. Paul says to the church, we want to glory entirely in Jesus. Our salvation, our forgiveness is fully based on him and not us, whether that's circumcision or anything else. It's serious because Jesus' glory is at stake. It's not just a simple disagreement, but it's about Jesus' glory. Well, remember why Paul is saying this. It's a safeguard for the church. Paul's worked up here because he wants to guard them against putting confidence in themselves. To do that is anti-gospel. It's the opposite of what they've believed. They need to remember that our Savior is all Jesus, and that's going to keep them safe. Well, Paul wants to show exactly how pointless, how futile it is to put confidence in the flesh. And so he rolls the clock back. Have a look at verse 4. He plays it out. Okay, what if you could earn salvation, relationship with God yourself? Then I would be in a pretty good standing, he says. Verse 4, if anyone thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Have a look down. Upbringing, he's circumcised of one of the best tribes in Israel. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Social standing. He's a Pharisee. One of the highest um, positions you can get in the religious world at the time. Is he zealous? Is he passionate? Yeah. He holds nothing back, even persecuting the church in the name of religion. He's a defender of the truth. A legalistic righteousness. He says he's faultless. According to the law, he hasn't put a foot, a foot wrong his whole life. He's laying out his CV for everybody to see. Paul should be the most confident of all, but look at his conclusion in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Everything on his CV is loss. When me and Rika lived out in Hong Kong, um, we went to a doctor. I've not really seen it here in the UK, but in the waiting rooms out there, there's a wall that's covered in all the doctor's accolades, all the degrees and achievements from the universities, one from Hong Kong, London, America, like seven or eight all along the wall, showing why you can have confidence in the doctor you're about to see. And that's like Paul. 
If he printed out all his achievements, he would have an impressive wall to show off. But isn't it great to admire his humility? When all is said and done, Paul looks down at the accounting book of his life, and that long list is all in the loss column. It's worth nothing. What a humble guy Paul is to tell us that. Well, that's what we're thinking until we realize what he's actually saying. If this is how Paul's achievements stack up, then what about mine? I don't have a wall of achievements like Paul. If Paul's long list is worth nothing, what does that mean mine's worth? Paul is clear. The things you're tempted to put confidence in, anything on your own CV, anything that starts with I, is worth nothing. Anyone who puts confidence in the flesh is a fool. Well, that's the first section, the danger of wrong confidence. That brings us to the next section, the safety of right confidence, 8 to 11. Paul shows what it means to put his whole confidence in Jesus. And then later he's going to show why he has reason for such confidence. So firstly, the incomparable worth of knowing Jesus. Verse 8, have a look. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. Again, Paul gets his scales out, whereas before he considered everything he was proud of as loss. Now he puts everything on the scale. Everything that has value in the world is weighed. And when it's compared to knowing Jesus, he says it's nothing. In fact, it's loss. It's negative compared to knowing Christ Jesus. In Philippians so far, we've seen a lot about Paul's radical thinking, but here we see it plainly. Anything compared to knowing Christ is loss. Have a look down at the second half of verse 8. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Someone who's lost a lot might feel regret for those things. They might feel that it's a shame. The Olympics has just finished and we always hear about all the sacrifices athletes make, don't we? All the money and the time, the family sacrifices, the time away from home. And there's often a sadness about it. But here there's not even a hint of regret from Paul. He would lose it all over again for the sake of Christ. It's easy, isn't it, to feel regret about the things we lose for serving Jesus? What would our life have been like if I wasn't a Christian? I'd have more time. Maybe you could have had another promotion. You'd have more money. Maybe it's just small things like a lion on a Sunday or that Wednesday night Bible study back where you could have played tennis or whatever you do. But Paul doesn't have a hint of regret. He calls it rubbish. That's a really polite translation of the word. A better translation would be sewage. It's literally dung compared to knowing Christ. If Paul has something that by giving up, he will know Christ better, he'll throw it away without hesitation. If it's holding him back even a tiny bit, then it's rubbish. It's worth nothing. It's negative because it's taking me away from knowing him. Have a look at the end of verse 8 and verse 9 that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness 
that comes from God and is by faith. That's a great phrase, isn't it? To be found in Christ. After everything in this world is said and done, Paul's hope is to be found in Christ. When God comes to right all the wrongs of the world, to clear away all the wickedness and sin and injustice and sadness, all those things that we create, Paul's hope is after all that's gone, he'll be found safe in Christ, hidden in him. It's the safest place to be. And it's safe, notice, because it's based on Jesus' righteousness. Have a look again. Faith in Jesus alone. It's based on his righteousness and not anything on ourselves. If we have confidence in ourselves, that can fail. It will fail because it's worth nothing. It's loss, Paul's already said. Paul knows that this is true safety. It's safe for him and it's safe for the church in Philippi that they value Christ above anything else, that their faith is in him alone. A famous missionary, John Payton, or Patton, I'm not sure what it is, um, struggled to find a translation for the word faith in the local language. But as he was trying, so the story goes, he was interrupted by a man who'd injured himself and he needed somebody to lean on, someone to lean heavily on so that he could stand. We need to put all our weight on Jesus. If that man put any weight on his own legs, he would have fallen. It's not safe. We need to lean heavily on Jesus, on his righteousness, and nothing on ourselves. When we're tempted to value things in this world too much, or we're tempted to be proud, we need to remember Jesus, compare it with him. Verse 8, Paul has lost all things for the sake of Christ. Because he knows how valuable knowing Christ is. Jesus tells a story in one of the Gospels about a man who found treasure in a field. The the guy goes straight home, sells his home, sells everything he has to buy the field. People must have thought he was crazy, buying some dirt. But he was confident. He was confident because he knew the worth of the field. He knew how valuable the treasure was. It's the most obvious decision of his life. He'd sell everything again because he knew the value of what he was gaining. It was the safest investment of his life. Paul says it's safe for you to have confidence in Jesus. But don't mistake what Paul means by safety. It's not comfort or freedom from difficulty. It's not an easy life. Paul's not promising prosperity or safety as the world sees it. Paul himself has suffered immensely to follow Jesus. He's given up his prosperous, respected life. He's been beaten countless times. He's been in prison over and over. He's even in prison now as he writes this letter. Paul has suffered to follow Christ. He's had a dangerous life. But he considers it safe. He'd do it all over again because he's found treasure. He knows true safety is found in Christ. Well, how can Paul be so confident? Well, have a look with me at the last two verses, 10 and 11. Paul's confidence in the resurrection. Verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
The reason Paul is so confident is because of Jesus' resurrection. Twice, Paul mentions it. He wants to know the power of Jesus' resurrection, and he wants to attain to the resurrection. When Jesus dies on the cross, his righteous life is swapped with our self-centered, sinful life. Jesus pays the great cost of our wickedness in order for us to be forgiven, for us to be part of God's people. But if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, how do we know if it's all true? Paul himself says in another New Testament letter, if Jesus didn't rise, then our whole faith is useless. Have a listen to this from 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If there's no resurrection, then to live for this world makes perfect sense. We need to soak up as much joy as we can now, try and achieve all that we can now, try and gain everything. If there's no resurrection, then our achievements here matter. It makes perfect sense. But if Jesus has risen from the dead, then we can have confidence that the price is paid. Death is defeated. We're no longer in our sins. Because Jesus is alive, we will live. We'll know the power of his resurrection ourselves. Well, if we understand that, then what's the sensible outcome? Well, then the things of this world really don't matter. They're temporary compared to eternal life with Jesus. We can gain as much as we like, but it's nothing compared to eternity. It's simple maths. So it's the logical outcome for Paul to throw his whole lot in with Jesus. makes perfect sense to lose everything for the sake of Christ because the worth of knowing Christ is infinite. We'll only be here in this life a short time, but we'll be in relationship with Jesus forever. And so Paul says anything that even slightly pulls him away, it's worthless, it's rubbish. And so Paul says it's worth following Jesus even to a point to the point of death. Even, verse 10, to the point of a death like Jesus. An excruciating and humiliating death. It's something worth going through. It's something Paul even wants to give so that he'd know Christ better in order to gain Christ. Paul's confidence in the resurrection gives us clarity gives him clarity about this life. And he'd do everything in order to be found in him, even to the point of death like Jesus. Let's just spend some time thinking about what that means for us today. Firstly, I hope this morning that you've seen the gospel is such good news. And we need to keep hearing it. The gospel, our righteousness before God, completely through Jesus. And not anything from ourselves. It's the best news in the world. There's nothing we need to do or add to Jesus' work on the cross. We don't need an impressive wall to show off. We don't need any qualifications to follow Jesus or be accepted by God. God accepts us, not as we are, but as we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness and not our own. That's a safeguard for us to remember. It will keep us safe to trust in Jesus. It's news of great joy as well because as followers of Jesus, our righteousness is never in doubt. 
It's secure. Nothing we do or don't do can disqualify us. So this news is going to make us joyful and it's going to keep us safe in that joy. I told you about our leaky ceiling at the start, how I couldn't put my whole confidence in the wobbly chair. And that's sensible because it was a pretty stupid idea. (laughs) My confidence in the chair was low because the chair wasn't stable. It was right to be nervous to put my whole weight on the chair because it wasn't safe. Paul puts his whole weight on Jesus, not because he's a fool like me and the wobbly chair. He puts his confidence in Jesus because Jesus is the most steady place you can put your weight. Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that he's true, proves that his death has counted. We can have confidence because Jesus is actually the safest place of all. A better illustration might have been um, a fireman who rescues, rescues us out of a burning building, out of the window. In that situation, we have no hesitation about putting all our weight on the fireman. It makes no sense to keep one foot in the building because we think it's safer in there. Of course not. Because we know the fireman is here to keep you safe. He's here to rescue you. Did you ever have those drills at school? Um, Fire drills. They always say, don't they, don't take your belongings with you. And don't go back to get them. Leave everything. Evacuate the building. It's not because there's something wrong with your belongings. But they might hold you back. They might slow you down and stop you from reaching safety. If you're holding too tightly to those things, you might miss what's most important. Paul says, let go of everything in order to know Jesus, to be found in him having his righteousness. Everything that holds us back is rubbish. I said at the start, didn't I, that there are lots of things that hold us back or things we don't like to let go of because we find safety there. They make us feel safe. There are big things, perhaps a relationship we know is holding us back from knowing Jesus. Maybe an overly busy job or an obsession to study to reach the highest grades. Maybe it's money. We put lots of safety in these things. But it's also smaller things as well, like avoiding a conversation we know is going to be helpful for us. The Bible study we know we should commit to but find a bit awkward. It's safer not to get involved in people's lives. And the biggest one, I think, or the biggest one for me at least, is sharing the gospel. It's such a risk, isn't it, to stick your neck out at work or with, at school or with friends. To share something of Jesus, even though you know people might think you're strange or worse, they might get angry with you. But if we have Paul's attitude, we'll know that we've got safety in Jesus. Then we'll be ready to give everything to follow him. I'm not saying it's simple. I'm not saying we should all sell everything we have and live in a box or go out and be street preachers every day. It's not simple. It'll look different for everybody. But it's no less radical than those things. The implication of the resurrection is to be all in. If we claim to believe the resurrection, then to do anything else but be all in is completely inconsistent. If we grasp the worth of knowing Jesus, the incomparable worth, and if we understand the implication of the resurrection, 
than those areas where we hold back from following Jesus. Or those places we turn to for safety apart from him, they're going to fade. We'll see them as rubbish because we'll compare them to knowing Jesus, to knowing Jesus for eternity. We can discuss that more after the meeting. I'll put that question on your sheets at the bottom and maybe to get a bit more specific with each other. But I just want to finish by addressing those who are maybe listening and not Christians, listening from home maybe, or perhaps thought you were a Christian, but seeing Paul's attitude, feel like you might be missing something that he has. I just want to say again that this passage is great for you. It's great for you to see, because you can see what it means to follow Jesus. Firstly, I hope you'll see that there's no such thing as a half-hearted Christian. Whoever named this series did a great job. All in. You're either all in or you're not. You either live with this world in view or you live with the resurrection, the resurrection with Jesus in the next. It's not just something you can add to life. It's not just something you write on a census. Yeah, probably a Christian. Following Jesus is a massive decision. It'll change your whole life. It's not a light decision. To be a Christian, to put your whole weight on Jesus, means sacrificing a lot. It might mean losing things that you could have had otherwise. It's not an easy decision to follow Jesus. But secondly, I hope you've seen this morning something of what it's like to know Jesus. His offer to you is his complete righteousness. We don't need to do anything to qualify. We don't need an impressive wall. Jesus offers forgiveness fully. It's a swap. His righteousness for our self-centered wickedness. He offers us the greatest joy as well because he gives it to us freely. And because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we know that it's secure. To put your whole weight on Jesus is the safest thing that you can do. Shall we pray together as we finish? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that safety is found in Jesus alone. Thank you that we can have joy now because of the security we have in Jesus' death and resurrection for us. Please help us to know more of the incomparable worth of knowing Jesus, that we would value it so much more that we consider everything that holds us back from him as rubbish. Father, we're sorry and we repent for those places where we look to for safety. Please help us hold nothing back from serving you and wanting to know you better. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.